Hey guys, what's up? Uh, and welcome back to the Jalartcast. Uh, change of scenery for the moment. Um, I have moved my office. Um, I'm currently working from home. So if it sounds slightly more echoey or just different in general, um, that is the reason. Um, again, during this time where we are on lockdown and uh, the world is kind of spinning in chaos, uh, I'm glad that you guys came back to listen to another episode and take in what um, I had to say and my guests had to say. I always feel like um, you know we have a, a very positive message to, to send it to you guys and hopefully you learn and, and grow with each one of these uh, talks that we have on here. Um, again, if you're listening and anywhere else, um, you can check us out on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, iTunes, loads of places you will find podcasts typically. Um, during this time as well, I'm trying to get just a little bit more people on, um, release a few extra episodes just uh, because I have just a little bit more free time now that I'm working uh, completely from home and can't leave. So yeah, I have to have something to focus on. Um, today's guest um, is, is someone that uh, I've kind of came across in, in, in several chats or, or different uh, organizations or things that I've looked into, uh, even when I was doing stuff in 3D art, um, this name came up a couple of times and uh, we got talking online and decided that it would be good to uh, have him on just to talk about his experience because it probably is quite unique and uh, just a general look into his process and, and his way of thinking um, because I did think at times listening to him uh, talk and teach that there was a, a definite um, unique spin on how he approached the industry and definitely how he looks at um, management and other tools within uh, working in AAA games. Um, so without further ado, uh, let me introduce today's guest and that is uh, Lucas Stratman. So hey Lucas, what's up? Hi there. Uh, you're doing well. How, how's everything? Um, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's uh... yeah, of course, man. Definitely. Uh, yeah, because we uh we kind of first bumped into each other, I think, in the Dynasty Discord. I think yes. We're the first people talking. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I spend most of my time nowadays when I'm, yeah. when I'm sort of at home. Um, it's a really great community where um I've become a, a partner and I'm uploading YouTube videos, but also spending lots of time in the actual chat helping people. Um, and just overall art discussion and, and learning together is sort of the the, um, the main point there. Yeah, because when we first started kind of uh, talking, it was to get you on the podcast, but also uh, I didn't realize that you were also the mind behind their uh, moving to Blender series. So if artists wanted to integrate to Blender or learn Blender for 3D production, um, you kind of made a like a 10 part video series at the time on making that jump and, and learning Blender uh, for uh kind of game pipelines uh so but then are, are you using blender exclusively now is that can you go to um well in general um i always say um i use whatever software i have to um if i can choose i, I use blender certainly at home i i do and i have in the past in in productions but um yeah i think i think you know blender itself for me has always been um sort of multiple reasons of why i liked it um, so we can obviously get into that. Um, it's it has it had this great explosion where suddenly a lot of people are more interested in it, and I thought you know it'd be a really cool moment to approach it from a hey, you're an artist in the industry, you know how to 3D model, you just don't know the software, and a lot of tutorials out there will teach you how to make you know a donut, um, but someone who has ten years of experience kind of knows how to spawn in a circle and thicken it, right? So um, I think that. To me, it was um, I'd like to help people get used to the program, um, knowing full well that they might be way better than me at art. That was sort of my my initial thought on on how to start tutorials. 
Yeah, so I mean, like in general, I think it's it's interesting how I mean, for me especially because you know when I was almost learning parts of three D, I was definitely more Maya focused or the traditional tools focused. But then when we spoke to Alex Bedos, who we had on the podcast not too long ago, he was talking about you know like the power of Blender is real. You know there is uh, legitimate companies now like Ubisoft and Epic who are investing serious money in the software. Um, I think we also talked about this slightly when we talked to Alex, but. Um, it is becoming more mainstream in studios now. Is that the case? Like, especially, I mean, you're, uh, so I mean, just really quickly for people who don't know, could you just introduce yourself, like who you are, where you're working currently, your kind of previous uh, experience, just so we get a grounding in where right. you are just now. Um, just short, um, short introduction to myself. Um, so I'm currently a level artist um, at Ubisoft Ansi. Um worked on Division um, 2 uh, Warlords, just came out. Um, uh, before I joined here, I was uh, with a smaller company um, called Kerno Interactive, and before that at Andermatter Games as a QA coordinator. Um, at Kerno, I was an environment artist and also did sort of, uh, well, we call it art supervision. It was mainly just managing um, most of the art team, a lot of the outsourced stuff to just make sure we get everything we need, uh, get the art quality we need. I've sort of I've done a lot of things, um, mainly around uh, Red Orchestra Two, Rising Storm, Rising Storm Two. Um, that's sort of the main first. You know, I've always say I've had sort of ten years of experience making first-person shooters, and then obviously the vision was a really nice change into third-person. Um, and I actually, it's interesting. yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah I, I was go- no, I was going to say because uh, it's interesting. We were talking about this before the podcast started. Is that you took the route where like. From my understanding, I thought you had came straight from college into work, but you were telling about this whole story where you actually started as like you know a game journalist almost, and then you were in remote QA testing, and you got into QA full time, and that yeah, like there's this whole. I mean, you can dive in as much as you want or try and break it apart, but <laughs> maybe start at the beginning and try and give a brief, if you can, give a brief overview of like your whole journey. So I still haven't actually found a good way of telling this story because um most of the time it either sounds like i was doing too much or was doing too little or there's no really good a middle path of like it's not a very straight line um right so i i want to say in the mid 2000s um i was more and more interested in video games the really funny thing about me is i never really was playing too many video games i never had a video game console until 2007 um, I had a PC and I was playing like Age of Empires 2 for 10 years. And in nice. the mid-2000s, I was getting more interested in video games, but I was mainly getting interested in video game reviews. And and when Age of Empires 3 came out, you know, I was like, I want to be a video game reviewer. I want to start a YouTube channel. And this must have been like, what, 2006, 2007? I'm, I'm not quite sure when it came out. Um, wow. And sort of made my way into that. Um, working for smaller websites, starting my own in 2010. And I always call that the life I don't talk about. Um, you know, it's sort of, it is very much a, I'm trying to be professional, but I'm also a teenager. And it, it did work out. We got review copies from every large major publisher. And it was a really great time. Out of nice. that, out of that, connections out of that grew that I started to be a QA tester for Rising Storm 1. Um, this is 2012. And I really enjoyed that. You know, it's like, bi-weekly, uh, not bi-weekly, twice a week, rather, um, testing of, of maps, gameplay testing, feedback for gameplay, but also bug testing. And then just sort of staying with that, I became a tester for Animator Games and then moved 
to England to be a full-time tester and QA coordinator later on. While I was there, because I've always, I always knew I, at that point of a switch from wanting to be a games journalist to wanting to make games. Um, and while I was in England, I sort of started to get more interest in 3D. I had used Blender since 2007, I want to say. Yeah, seven. Um, when an art teacher of mine said, hey, there's this really cool program. I think you would like it. You're, you know, you're kind of a computer, well, let's say computer nerd. Um, you'll like this. And I've always been around it, but I never really fully realized the potential of 3D. And when I was in England, I finally was able to get into it. You know, a couple of people in the office really, really helped me um, to get into it. And, you know, you mentioned this um, yourself, um, starting with Maya or the quote unquote more traditional software. Everyone yeah. in the office, the office is 3ds Max, right? Um, the only reason I was using Blender is because we couldn't really justify the QA guy in his lunch break having a, a 3ds max license so i was like oh i'll use blender it's fine you know I'll, i just want to get more into it and I, I was helping with like block out modeling for the level designers and stuff and at the same time i'm learning it but i'm learning it from people using 3ds max i'm watching 3ds max tutorials and then doing them in blender so i from the get-go when i really got into 3d i'm learning it removed from software i'm not learning a software i'm learning 3d and then doing it in the software i have and from the very first day, I, I started to use GIMP 2.6 and Blender, and I said I'll change to 3ds Max and Photoshop once I run into a roadblock where I can't do the things the tutorial is doing. I was using Photoshop within a week because at the time, GIMP wasn't really that good. And I've never switched away from Blender, basically, because it's always been a way to do it. And Sorry, yeah. when, I then, when I left England and became an environment artist, um, I continue to use it but then also i moved back home and because i'm really interested in management um, as i was doing qa coordination coordinator you know i have a team of five five remote people uh, or mm -hmm. actually six at a time um i i've always been extremely interested in you know how do we make the team perform well how do we uh, you know mold a team that will work at peak efficiency or even longer, you know, like how do we yeah. how do we make a team want to work more than they're paid for, and then tell them to not do it because we don't want them to overwork, right? Like how do we fire up our team? That's always been sort of my main interest. And so I went back home and I said, oh, okay, I want to become an artist. I want to become an artist in AAA. I was already an artist. I was working for a former colleague who'd started a new company, and um, I went to uni but I went to uni for 3D and management. And I said to myself, I'll, I'll have three years of time to become really good at art, to become a AAA artist. But I'm really only interested in the management side because I'm working full-time in art anyway. And I'll right, just yeah. become a AAA artist while working. And mm. half of the uni was really easy for me because it was you know beginner 3D stuff. But at uni, right. we're actually using Cinema 4D. So I'm now switching between Mac Cinema 4D and Blender at home. And then sort of the, the more uni um, became management, the less Cinema 4D I was using and really the more Blender I was using. And this is still 2.7. Um, right. So I'm coming out of uni. You know, I'm working for, for Kernel. I'm being an environment artist. I'm being, um, you know, a, a manager at the company as well in, in terms of art. Um, and then I somehow managed to get into Ubisoft Ansi, which is amazing to me still. 
at the yeah. same time as Blender, Blender 2.8 becomes really big. So this sort of goes in hand in hand where I'm like, for the longest time, I was thinking, okay, I'll just have to learn Max and really get into 3ds Max. You know, I've been using it sort of on the side, but not really. I don't kind of, I don't really like it too much. I prefer Blender, but I know I will have to get into Max because chances are, you know, we, everyone knows sort of like this company is using Maya, this company is using Max, and I think, you know, for me there was always this: I will just have to switch to the to the quote unquote standard. Yeah. Um, and then somehow it was like, well, now 2.8 is out. And everyone's talking about it. And for the last 10 years, I've been telling people it's a great software and now they realized it. And so this was this really weird awakening of I'm coming out of uni and I know what I'm talking about. You know, I've been an artist at that, that point for four years. And I was right. like, well, I'll just do tutorials and I'll, yeah. I'll share my knowledge of the software as I'm transitioning into being in AAA. Um, yeah. And yeah, also, just, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say, but Blender also, you know, I think was good, you know, up until that point. But when it hit 2.7, it was like, you know, it was almost a different piece of software, like, it wasn't as noticeably the same as it was at like 2.6, for instance. You know, I know Blender Guru, um, you know, had done a whole video series on like why 2.7, you know, is like the bee's knees like why it is so good why it's well so you mean 2.8 in comparison to 2.7 oh, okay right yeah um, so that would be the switch, yeah, yeah. i would actually disagree um okay i think so again you know i first opened blender in 2007 2.4 and right i never got into 3d modeling and i'm going to outright say it's because a i was a dumb little kid who didn't realize what the software could do but b um it just wasn't a good software at the time. I think it was a software where you really had to, you know, you really, if you wanted to use it, you could, but if you're just getting into it, it was very steep learning curve and kind of odd and awkward. And right, yeah. the same with, you know, 2010, I was doing a couple of animations. 2.6, I don't think was a good software. And to me, it becomes a good software with 2.7. Um, I honestly don't see the difference between 2.7 and 2.8 other than the UI. Um, most of the things are simply reorganized and slightly changed. You can open a 2.8 file in 2.7 and it'll just work because, I mean, it's Blender, it just works. But um, the UI rearranges because literally they've just changed a couple default options. But those changes in default options made it seem to most people like oh it's now suddenly a you know a real contender and and switching to left click um being the left click select being the default option also sort of remove the the mental hurdles you have to go through to switch to blender um even though right click is still better but yeah. we don't talk about that um <laughs> yes it's an argument you'll always lose um but those yeah. people who switch to right click go oh yeah i understand what you meant it is better because it you know it is but it's a can't really argue it. Um, but I think two, what 2.8 did is 2.8 opened up 2.7 to people by pretending like it's entirely new. And I mean, it changed a lot of things. Don't get me wrong. You know, they added the, the entire PBR pipeline. That was flashy. 2.8 is a flashy update that tells you cool things are coming. And out of that came the explosion of funding. And you look at the, at the dev fund, um, you know, there is like Intel, AMD, NVIDIA, Ubisoft, uh, animation whatever tangent animation embark you name it they're on there right and they're nearly at 100,000 euros a month now 
for funding. You know, Epic is on there as well, obviously, with their, um, with their what was it, 10,000 a month or something. Um, out of that explosion of money came suddenly a rush of new features. And if you look at it, 2.8 in beta was basically 2.7 with a different UI and a different renderer and a couple things removed. And then yeah. 2.81, 2.82, and now 2.83 coming out, there is major changes. The sculpting is completely overhauled. The, the cloth suddenly has become way better and, and like has things added to it, which, you know, pressure, for example, really important, yeah. didn't have it before. So really, I think 2.7 was already usable, but just it had it had the baggage of right. um, not looking like a good software when it already was. And then 2.8 removed the baggage and then 2.81 made it a good software in, in the sense of like, now it's actually better than some of the standard software. Yeah, I think also because Blender has such a myriad of tools that are usable within it because it's not just like a 3D software. <laughs> you know, it can also do 2D, it can do use grease pencil, it can also animate, it can edit video. You know, it has a real-time engine built into it that can use to render stuff and be moved in real time. So it comes as like a whole kind of complete package. There's a lot of things that are just built in it as opposed to like Max or Maya that maybe do one or two things specifically. Yeah, so they, they said before that um, their goal really is, you know, um, Blender 3.0, let's say, um, to have a software to make a feature film. So because they also have that animation studio, which is um, detached from the foundation, but it's a studio yeah. that they sort of they work together. I mean, they're um, technically already making films, right? It, they're making short films. And they have... So the, th the cool thing about Blender is it's made for everyone, but then their own animation team is using it in production and is giving feedback as it's being developed. So it's kind of halfway between an internal tool and a tool that everyone is making at the same time. So there's really this this myriad of, of different approaches and how you know how it's being made. And it's really it's molded by people using it. And that is, I think, what makes it so strong is you know, you have a you are annoyed by something, you go on the forums, you say that if everyone else is annoyed by it, you get lots of upvotes and then they change it. Or someone else changes it and they integrate the change. So, you know, that really helps it. And um but going back to their goal is to make a feature film. So not just a short film, but they said before, I want to make a feature film entirely in Blender, you know, maybe using other open source software for like texturing, but even that you can do in Blender. So for us in games art, you know, that's kind of overkill um, in, in certainly in environment art, level art, you don't really need a video editor. And a lot of people are like, well, that's kind of pointless. Why are they spending time and energy? But then, you know, they're kind of not because it's by someone who did it who then puts their work in and they integrate it. So it, it wants to be everything and it wants to be decent at everything, but it realizes, and I think this is really, it's key. It realizes that it won't ever beat ZBrush or Marvelous Designer or Marmoset, right? It won't beat the, the software made for the specific task, but it'll right. be the baseline of like, I have opened ZBrush, I think once, because I never really sculpt. And okay. if I have to sculpt, um, you know, like maybe taking off some edges of a wooden box, right. Blender is enough for that. You know, a Blender isn't the go-to software for sculpting. Don't get me wrong. Even now with all the changes, you would, I would still recommend people pick up ZBrush if they want to sculpt. But yes. I mean, for scraping off a couple edges, do you have to learn ZBrush or do you just quickly go over it in Blender? You know? Yeah, because yeah, you're... You, yeah, because... I think ZBrush is very specifically aimed towards 
people who want to be character artists full time. I mean, then... even in environment art, you see people using it. You know, like um, yeah, make a rock for example. Uh, but yeah. then, then there's the question of you know, like for me, the question becomes: Is that really the the, the best way in terms of well the best way is always a, a, a question that is a non-question because it depends on the circumstance but is it the best way to do a, a rock for the circumstance if you enjoy doing it if you enjoy sculpting pick up zbrush you know i had a, a friend of mine who um for this is at uni she for three years she was really interested in you know being an artist and, and making art and she's an incredible uh, sculptor in you know with actual clay in real life um, and for three years, she's like, what is this? Like, I, she couldn't get her head around Cinema 4D. It's like, she did not enjoy what she was doing. And then in like the last semester, someone gave her ZBrush. And within, I want to say four weeks, she was making characters and she was making art that was incredible. And, and so I think, you know, having, having the right software for the right task is very important. And, and this is, you know... My opinion of Blender is it's a cool software and all of that, but it's not the end all, right? It's not the end all be all. It's 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 a software, it's a tool in your shed. And it might be the correct tool, but it might not be the correct tool. So if you are doing lots of sculpting, you're probably picking up ZBrush and you're probably using that. If you're doing a lot of cloth, you're probably using Marvelous Designer. And so I think it's um it's a really interesting base tool and it has lots of potential procedurally where I think the future is going towards, um, you know, non-destructive workflows. I've, I've used it in a non-destructive way where I've been able to change entire structures within 15 minutes and I didn't have to do the UVs again. I didn't have to do the collision again because it all linked together in reference and all that stuff. So I think Blender has clear advantages, but it also is very clearly just another tool. I really hate um, on Twitter, you know, the shitstorm that goes over Autodesk every time they do something and everyone in the comments goes, but Blender, like it doesn't matter, right? If someone wants to use Maya, let them use Maya. So uh, I think we have to watch out there to not um, talk too much about the software in the end of the day, because it's about the art you make with it. Yeah. I think it's also apparent to a lot of 2D artists who will use stuff like you know, uh, Painter Tool Sci or Sketchbook, you know, like there's there's variations even on drawing, like, you know, Photoshop isn't, you know, although it's industry standard, of course, you know, if you can achieve the same effects in Sketchbook Pro or even Procreate now, you know, Procreate, um, I, won't, I don't want to say Procreate is like the blender of the 2D world, but, you know, Procreate for a long time when it was early engineered, but people were saying, oh, you know, it's, it's a good thing to draw an iPad. It's got really cool tools, but it'll never, but now people... I know people specifically who are working professionally as concept artists in Procreate full-time without a desktop. So, I mean, like, yeah, I think this, the baseline skills of drawing will always be apparent, but the software is just a tool, right? Exactly, as... exactly. Yeah. I think yeah. That's, that's, it's, that's literally, I mean, that's all you need to know about software is when someone asks you which software should I be using, it's like the one that makes the most sense in your current financial situation um, because... Honestly, going into any job, expect to change software pipeline and everything. And it's not about um, knowing a software. It's about knowing what to do with that software. And, you know, it doesn't matter if I press P to separate something in Blender or if I press the detach button in Max. It does the same. Yeah, and I mean, like, in an instance, uh, I know, again, what you're saying is, is true is that 
the the software is just as the tool but then i think it's also about how easily that software makes you feel um like your workflow is i know i'm trying to think of the worst explainers but more flow is not a word well, but at home the, really i think that's what you're looking yeah. for is you know well, well, procreate especially i think the reason procreate for me works as a tool when you draw and paint is because the the software gets out of the way and just lets you make art if that makes sense yeah and i mean that's what i personally get with blender just i mean on a this is just personal preference in the end of the day it's for me blender is is a set of operators because that's literally what it is is a set of operators and, and a set of of data chunks essentially and it just lets me do things you know, I don't have to twist and bend. It just works and it's not annoying me. And and there's a couple of things where it is, but most of the time as a software, you know, you, you look at like um, at a couple of problems, sometimes online, you Google for something. And usually in Blender, there is a way of combining different operators to get the result. Um, and, and that really, to me, is, it, it goes to that problem solving. I... Although people have contested me on that opinion, um, and it's just it's just an opinion, but I always thought that to me Blender felt a bit more in the direction of problem solving. It, it's more open. It's it's a more sort of you you're working closer to the core. There is no, you know, it didn't used to have a good UI, and it still mm. doesn't really have a good UI. Um, yeah. There is no button for it because you have a keyboard in front of you and then sure it's somewhere in the menu but in the end of the day you're just calling this operator and it doesn't really matter you know what you use and i'm constantly telling people to not use the toolbar on the left in in 2.8 because it's slowing people down because you could just be calling that operator right away and then once they realize what i'm saying most people go oh yeah you're actually right like it takes longer to learn but it's a heck of a lot faster and it doesn't get in my way you know it's not annoying and and i think that's really the strength of blender where you know you go to your tech artist and you're like well you know we talk about pipeline and we talk about having to integrate you know heavily integrated pipelines um with lots of you know i don't know using max and next script or whatever you can't really easily port that to a different software obviously but you know like I I wouldn't call myself a tech artist. I wouldn't call myself a coder. And I've been making small add-ons in Python for a year now where I was like, oh, maybe this would be a, a good export script for me to make my life easier. And it is very clear and clean and it just works. It just works. Everything is open. And then if you have an actual tech artist in front of you um, and they really want to change something, the source code is right there. You can just compile your own Blender if you like to, right? So any problem you have you can fix and if you for example have a crash or a bug you can just go online on the bug tracker and you can put it in you can see if it's already there you can see the developer discussing it it is very transparent it is very open and i think it because it's molded by that openness and by the people it's pushing a lot faster and harder into the future than other software is um, yeah, so because it's open source also, which makes it easy for, like you said, people to take their own tools and their own mindsets of what they want in the software, and then that can be integrated if it's popular enough. Exactly. I mean, this is literally, this is really interesting. Is um, And to, to some people, it's mind-boggling. It, if someone gives, you know, like Epic gave them well, over two years, I think, was it $2 million or $1 million in funding? Um, yeah. They didn't get anything for that. Like, okay. you know... Yeah. you know you, you have a contract with autodesk and you mm -hmm. will get support and you'll get a direct line to maybe request new features and i don't know but i'm assuming that's the case right. um and in blender they literally go thank you 
you have the same voice than, you know, Joe over there who hasn't paid anything. Because yeah. if, you know, someone pays 5000 a month, doesn't matter if it's a company or an individual, mm -hmm. they don't have more say over what new features come in. If they want a new feature, they put in a proposal on the forums and if people discuss it and people like it, people upvote it, it'll become mm -hmm. a feature. So if you want change, you can be the cataclyst of it, you can support it and it'll happen, right? Something yeah. is annoying, it'll happen. And so I think that's democracy in the end of the day. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think it's also interesting where I think these companies now are investing like Ubisoft, like Epic, because they want to see, you know, they want to see change in the industry. They're kind of maybe even like, maybe not sick of, but just don't want to be paying my licenses for every 3D artist in their team because their worlds are so big, their 3D teams are so big. So they're thinking like, you know, if we can switch everybody to Blender eventually, then there's a zero cost right there. Well, I, I mean... That probably certainly is a, is a thought, but I also think it's, um, again, I don't know this, but I'm assuming it um, is a lot of people are now interested in the software. And here's an opportunity for very little cost to support it, to have um, more importantly than money, the best way of supporting Blender is by developing for it, right? And if you do the math and you look at how many licenses, even if you get a discount, how many licenses a large company has to have, of a 3D mm. software for environment artists, you could just hire a programmer to make the software better rather than right. spending that money on hopefully having the other company fix it. But the thing about this is it might not fit for your business model. And we have to very, be very honest. I, I'm not an animator, but from what I know, Blender is not the best animation tool, right? If, in terms mm. of like game art, I, I can see a lot of shortcomings um, I can see a lot of integration with like, you know, Motion Builder and all that stuff where Blender isn't going to really work out for you. So it, I think what it is, it's a, it's a, well, not for Epic, but for other companies, a, a decently cheap way of supporting what could be the future. And it is really yeah. future-proofing because, so I was thinking about this in preparation for, for our chat here. Um, if you look at it with how Blender is progressing, and how open it is in procedural and in uh, semi-procedural ways. And in my honest opinion, you know, Houdini and procedural approaches are the future for a lot of things, not for everything, but for a lot of things. Blender is going that direction as well, where you can do a lot of things and you can save a lot of time. And, you know, with animation notes coming in soon or everything notes coming in soon in, in the actual main software, not just the experimental branch, where you see online already people have like automatic ropes for like harbors, you know, like like um, hempen ropes that are like slung around uh, whatever a prop. It's like, yeah, you can do that by hand and it takes you two hours or you just have this little script that someone made in animation notes to read a couple points, you know, Houdini style. and mm -hmm. um, once you have that tool, if, you know, I'm, I'm working on Sales of War, which is a, a ship game, it's my personal project. Um, the amount of times that I'm like, it'd be really cool to just have like a rope around this little piece of wood. If I have a script that does it for me and I do it 20 times, I've saved time. And so for me, this is, I think, where you separate sort of the artists doing art from the production mindset of, well, I can spend four hours or I can spend four days making a tool that'll in the end save me 30 days of work 
Or if I make a portfolio piece, I can just do four days to make a really cool looking rope because I'm only making one and I don't really care about reproducing that same result 40 times. Um, and so I think in a production mindset, suddenly Blender is, is a very open platform where you can integrate tools into it or use it as a tool to save time. Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting as well where I've had this conversation with some environment artists where you talk about, you know, uh, oh, there's so many scripts that, you know, will bully and stuff and retopologize really quickly and, you know, by clicking like one button and, you know, there's this script that does this in Maya and there's this thing that does this in Blender. But then an environment artist did say to me, but then again, he had been in the industry for a while, was like, yeah, we do get a lot of juniors coming in who will rely heavily on scripts. Um, do you feel that, I mean, you as a, a junior artist, do you feel like that's something you worry about sometimes is that you don't, or you maybe are missing some of the, the key elements of building some things yourself or is it all kind of more like is time more important to you than learning those things so um for myself personally um for example sculpting i've never really gotten into sculpting i do a lot of things with um displacement and just displacement maps and generating like you know wood destruction by using a cloud texture for example uh, i think it's a different way of uh, uh, getting the same thing but I, I would i would say that certainly you know the, the people who really have no experience coming into the industry um if they rely on the automation button um you know you have to learn the rules before you can break them um and when i started learning it when i started in the industry you know sort of like even back as qa when i was doing blockout modeling or helping out the, the art team sometimes um i learned how to texture in photoshop you know uh, when I started, Substance Painter was just becoming popular. Um, and I mean, I, I learned from people who were teaching me how to make art in 2005, essentially. Some of them anyway, uh, which was really good because my foundation personally is I have an understanding of how to do it. I might not be amazing at how to do it, uh, you know, at doing it the old way. But um, I think... If you learn, if you are learning 3D, you should do it the hard way at least once or twice. Um, you don't have to like the hard way because it's the hard way. You won't like it. But yeah. I think um, there is a real problem of a lot of, you know, <laughs> if you look at mega skins, a lot of people just pulling in an asset. And yeah. um, I had this, uh, you know, a while ago, someone asked me a question about uh, grass not looking correctly. Mm -hmm. um, and it turned out, it was like, well, look at your material. And it turns yeah. out that they were, I, I think we fixed the issue in the end, but it turns out that they were looking at the material instance that Megaskins had created for them when they pulled in the grass. And oh, okay. so they didn't actually understand. I mean, you're, you could have an argument that as an environment artist, you don't need to know the tech side of it, but they were looking right. at it and they're like, oh, I'm changing the, the subsurface, whatever, like parameter. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, it's not doing anything. It's like, well, you're not looking at your actual material because you haven't understood what you are changing. And so I think right. understanding is a very important thing. Um, it, like if you under if you understand how to do sculpting, you should probably also do it. So I'm talking about myself, right? I should mm -hmm. I know that I should be better at substance designer. I know that I should be better at sculpting. I understand the um, the uh, logic behind it. I just don't like yeah. doing it, so I'm not good at it. And okay. um, it's this it's this thing of of um, how much are you going to learn before you think you're industry ready? Uh, I think yeah. that I, I personally like to know at least a theory of everything. 
um, yeah. which in itself you won't ever get there because you can't learn everything. But then also you have to be very careful because some of these older things might just not be relevant anymore, right? Um, so I think I think you'd have to have a detailed discussion about every single topic. But I do think there is there certainly is a is a, is a thread of um, of people who just hit a hit a script and understand what it's doing. But I would actually say that isn't exclusive to junior people. Um, I see a lot of more senior people who will not really care about what binormal uh, their attention space is. You know, like they were like, oh, whatever, that's tech. I don't care about it. They're like, well, but your normal map is wrong. Like right. one of my favorite things to talk about is like, well, um, you know, what end, what, what, what normal tangent space are we using in this engine and how do we sync a workflow or, you know, what settings should your bake have in substance designer? And a lot of even more senior artists will be like, yeah, whatever. I just bake my normal map in max. And I'm like, well, then you basically don't have a good normal map, but then I'm going into tech art at that point where I'm not really that well versed so you know i don't want i want to remove myself from that but it's it's i think it's an extremely complex topic in industry and um there's a certain pride in doing everything by yourself um but then in production you outsource half of it anyway yeah i think that's a thing where you talked about you know your maybe no foundation but your end goal is probably more the management side of the art teams than being an artist like primarily because you said you know you don't consider yourself an artist which sounds <laughs> weird but then you are more focused on like uh bringing teams together organizing structures you know bringing the best out in people all that kind of stuff which is like i say is, i find is rarer in the industry it, it's not as common you find people more would you know become an artist in the industry because they want to be you know an artist but then for you you do want to tackle that management side more mm-hmm. yeah um i mean i do have to sort of quickly go into i i'm fully aware that saying i'm not an artist when i am an artist is kind of a paradox um okay i don't consider myself an artist and this is exclusive to me uh because i see a lot of people around me who are really great artists who you know they have this um laissez-faire sort of i want to make great art you know i want to sculpt everything um someone makes i don't know a 4k texture map because it makes it looks great right um, uh, you'll see portfolio pieces and you ask them about technical sides and they go, well, it doesn't matter because it's a portfolio piece. Um, and to me, I consider myself, you know, a, a, an, artistic techni- an artistic technical problem solver, right? It doesn't, it doesn't really matter if I make the most incredible art if in the end of the day, it's not what the game need, needs, it's not what, how the game runs, it, you know, we're making video games. And to me, I, I love working together with that pure artist who wants to make art. And I want to make sure that they can make art. But I am really, really interested in how do we make a game? How do we bring together this project? Where, um, where can we save time? Where can we... You know, maybe using a displacement map to make a rock is easier than sculpting it by hand. Because in the end of the day, is the player going to care about the five extra percent? I was talking to a tech artist and he was saying, well, a lot of times artists will be like, it looks one percent better. So I want to use it. And then the tech artist goes, yeah, but it also is 50 percent less performant. 
but then the you know the artist is like oh but it looks better and like art artists who are focused on making it look good i love that because that's their job right? that's our job right it needs to look good and it needs to work out and it needs to guide the player correctly and it, it needs to um convey the emotion and all of that obviously is extremely important because that's our job but in the end of the day it needs to run it needs to work and i think there is a there is a there's a balance on your team um you know you got you got into um personally i'm really interested in the management side i i want to my goal is to go into that management side to be that um visionaire on top and yeah, so um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would love to be um, even like creative director more than art direction. Um, right. You know, yeah. I I do have a not a background, but I do have an understanding of um, you know the level design. Uh, we used to do a lot of level art and level design at the same as the same thing in in um, sort of a couple of years ago in the other companies I worked for, just because it kind of went hand in hand. Um, environment artist modeling more than than actually putting it in the level sort of just everyone doing yeah. everything so i have a, a really solid understanding of that side i have a solid well, i have a good understanding of you know maybe how the code works or, or what can be done with code um and i like problem solving right and to me the the goal in management is and this is what you know i was really interested in studying it is how do we make sure that the line the team you know, the line work gets the work done in the most incredible way without conflict, without killing themselves with too much overtime. You know, how do we manage a team? How do we mold a team together? And you can go into incredible detail with that discussion of, you know, different people enable their colleagues to work. But then there is people in your team that don't perform well, but they are actually the people that make everyone else perform well. Um, there is... You know, introducing new people into a team changes the team dynamic. Um, change changes the team dynamic. Sometimes you have to get rid of people because they don't accept the change. There's so many interesting things of uh, going beyond just making art of how, because games are a teamwork, right? Nobody makes a game by themselves, certainly not a large game. Um, yeah. I mean, if there are, that's incredible. But, you know, what we have, we have, you know, AAA companies with hundreds of people on a team to make a single video game or even a single part of a video game um how do we navigate that troop that that large ship into shallow waters into the harbor into calm waters and then finally have it presented to the world and and i think um to me that's interesting and and then that's what i'm saying i'm not an artist because you know i i my goal is to make a video game and not to make the most incredible art because i think those are two different branches of the same main branch right so you, so you then would you say you feel that you're more a game developer than an artist? That's actually a good way of putting it. Yeah, I, because I'm coming from you know I used to do modding in in the in the late two thousands, um, lot lots of modding on on different engines. I you know I I went into Rising Storm and I, I mean that's basically sort of also that modding background. Um, to me, I want to make video games. I don't want to make art. And that can be a paradox because obviously video games are art. And so it really comes down to how you define your words. But to me, I want to make a video game. And if my work has to be cut or if my work looks slightly less good because that makes the game better, I'm all for it. You know, I'm the first one to suggest to cut my things if I think that the overall flow is better without them. 
and I'm proud of my work and I love doing art and you know in that sense I am an artist but I'm I'm really interested in making a good game and making a good product and being on time and you know making sure that everyone in the team can perform well so I think yeah a game developer but also um I guess further reaching than that yeah, but I mean, that's, again, I think those things are rarer and probably more sought after. I mean, it's almost, maybe not the same as being a generalist, but there is similar patterns where, you know, you kind of are the person who can do like a lot of things quite well and maybe don't specify one task to be like your primary resource of income. But um, I, I know when we spoke to Nick Carver, he was the same working at Blizzard, you know, he'd done some 3D art and character art, he'd done environment art, he'd done some concepts. So um, there are people like you who um, maybe just enjoy the process so much, probably because you're like me, you have a, a, a background in loving and playing games, you know, previously. So the, the whole process appeals to you rather than just one thing. It's really interesting. Um the way you said that because if you know we, we go back to talking about blender and we said it's good at everything but not amazing at anything and you know that does you just described me essentially as that and i think actually that fits together really well it's it's you know i am i am the the chief problem solver if i wanted to be right like i am i would say of myself that's what i'm best at i'm best at problem solving and i'm fi at figuring out sort of people in the team i've always been good at that um where where i'm more interested in problem solving and even in solving your problems you know i spend most of my time nowadays in terms of, of free time on the dynasty discord in troubleshooting trying to help people because i love seeing someone else's problem helping them to fix it learning from it and and knowing that they have a positive experience knowing that i've learned more and i usually tend to be the guy who seems to be able to remember most of the problems. Like, oh, I've seen this before 10 years ago. Here's what you do. Like, you know, oh, UE3 had this, UE4 has this, um, you know, Soros had that. I don't know, Morrowind had that. Like, I I think being the the human hard drive of of <laughs> of things, that's that's what interests me. You know, I'm not saying I'm good at it necessarily, but I think that's just being everywhere and understanding everything being yeah. that crazy madman i think that's really what i love yeah and then but then i think that's like you said there's those people and teams are definitely um i don't know if they're more sought after because again it's, it's it's a limited experience i have with the game industry but i do notice that those people who are like that um have like an easier time finding work maybe fitting the teams better or are able to work on different or multiple projects at once and then you know on top of that um, can move into the management side because they have experience on like not just making art but also managing teams or out, art, art, or art outsourcing or you know that kind of thing so that's definitely the, the future for you right is that kind of path well it, it goes back to to the management because um, if you're hiring for a team um, assuming you're a decent to really good manager um, you're hiring for a team and you're hiring for a specific person in that team you know uh, I, I specifically said person and not position because um, your team might have the problem solver already, and what you need is the artist. Um, you were built, you know. You don't want ten of me on a team. That's a horrible idea. One is, you know, barely bearable. Um, it's it it really comes down to how you are building your team and what you need at that time. Like if you if you need someone who just sits down and like does the work and 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 
you know, sits there until he is told to do something different, probably don't want to be hiring me. Um, I, I'm definitely, you know, taking myself as the only example I know of is I'm definitely as a person, um, not just your, you know, execution, right? I'm, I'm not just there printing out stuff. I'm buzzing about, I'm, I'm, I'm over communicating probably. Um, yeah. and so it comes down to, you know, if you're, if you're hiring and you, you see, you, you see that and you, and you want it on your team, that's great. But, you know, so I, I don't really think that gives you better chances because in the end of the day, a good portfolio gets you noticed and, um, that gets you chances for interviews. And for me, it, you know, my portfolio is sort of, I, I, w I would say decent to not really that amazing. Um, okay. And really what, you know, I would, I would say what got me into Ubisoft was getting an interview. That was like, I mean, obviously I got the interview, but I, you know, I impressed enough people to get an interview to then impress the people in the interview. And they, they wanted that specific person at that time in that team. And you can ex ex extrapolate that to the entire hiring process is when we were hiring for Kernel, for example, one of the people, we just needed someone who gets the work done. We, you know, it was like, we need this. We have six months of time. We need you. We need you to do this. And it didn't right. really matter how they worked with the team. You know, they're working remotely anyway. We just needed someone who gets the work done. It could have been a freelancer, but, you know, like it's, <laughs> it, it also goes into how good is the manager that's hiring you? How well do okay. they understand their own team? I would say. And I mean, this is yeah. more based on the theories that, you know, I, I, I've read about, I've learned about, than it is based on actual industry experience because I don't really think, you don't really get too many people who are like, you know, in business school going into being a video games artist. I don't really think there's a big crossover there. Um, yeah, you, you probably go to like a big company to be a manager there, which is probably where you get some more money. <laughs> so, so right, yeah, it's interesting. I think um, if you want to get hired, have a good portfolio. That's probably your best shot. You know, right? Yeah, well, but like you said, it's it's the it's not all artists are good managers, or not all managers are good artists. Like it's the whole thing where there's a there's a weird Venn diagram where there's a crossover. You know, of people who match certain skills together that uh that are valuable to a production-based company where you know making games now is a business you need a some sort of business management within that that can organize and task people and find and research new stuff and tech and make the production pipeline more uh more no more productive but flow better or integrate better um but then that's that's where your weird crossover comes in where no weird, but more common, you know, would be that people are getting into 3D art because they want to be a 3D artist, whereas you want to also be an artist, but you have a more affinity for the production side of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's. I think it's certainly, um, well, you know, you, you said this um, before we started recording, or I think maybe even whilst we were already talking, um, like, I have this weird curvy path and you know i if you look at it it looks like i just come out of uni and now i'm at ubisoft and what a you know what a great start to a career but there is 10 years of baggage of 10 years of of kind of you know learning everything that 
help that will help me in 10 years and yeah and i think you know if if someone is just starting out or if someone is about to go into uni or someone is thinking about going to uni someone like how do you get started is you have to understand yourself you have to understand what you're good at you have to understand what you're not good at i think you know being a being a, a confident person means that you know what you're lacking and you're yeah. you're comfortable talking about this right i'm comfortable saying that I don't know how to sculpt and I suck at making base materials and substance designer. You know, mm -hmm. I love substance designer for automation, for mass generation, for integrating it into, uh, again, automation, auto automation pipelines. But I know that if, you know, if you're hiring, if you're hiring me and if we were in an interview right now and you said, oh, uh, we need you to mostly do base materials, I'd be like, okay, guys, you don't, don't hire me. I'm not the right yeah. fit for you. Yeah. But I think I think you know having that having that comfortable um, self knowledge, uh, that means you can then decide how to approach it. And you know I approach it saying I'm going to go to university, I'll have to spend money. I have three years of time that I'm buying myself to push to become a 3D artist in AAA, and it nearly didn't work out. It only worked out because I met the right people at the right time who saw something in me. Yeah, yeah, and then again, it's it's a. Uh... A thing where uh, I'm trying to think how I'm trying to say this, but definitely as a as a game developer and somebody who can multitask, it's one of these things where you know uh, you could see people running their own studio, you could see people you know run their own projects, which you are. So I think that's that's why uh, games artists sometimes or people who um, who are artists or try in the industry maybe fail is because they can't marry the the industry side of, of the job with the artistic side because, like you said, they want to make art all day, but they can't think about, you know, production schedules or meetings or... Like, I know mm. people have done this whole thing where there's a switchover between uh, freelance and studio life. Like, there's there's a very big 50-50 split. Like, people either want to be completely freelancing, completely their own boss, or they want to go and be part of a team and work on a project. And I think the people who understand the production side of it probably more or want to be part of that kind of cog in the machine would definitely fit more into that side of it. Whereas people who maybe struggle with that or aren't as naturally uh, into that thing, they then want to do the freelance path because they want to just have their own schedules, their own deadlines. Um, so you'd probably fit in category A more than B, right? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would, I mean, yeah, but I would also say that at large, it's probably less a category and more a, um, you know, timeline, basic, not timeline, uh, what's it called, whatever, like a, a slider, right? Right, it, yeah. It's, um, you get a lot of people who are comfortably in the middle who want to be a cog in a machine and just do art because you can absolutely right. do that. Like if, because mm -hmm. your lead is setting your deadlines most of the time, you know how fast you are so you can set your, your time estimates. But um, yeah. I, I think being a cog in a machine is very easy in a, in a studio, large or small. Um, right. and you get people, I mean, I would certainly say I'm, I'm on the extreme on most things usually, um, yeah. you're not saying good or bad, but I'm saying just extreme, you know, like I work 18 hour days sometimes. I yeah. certainly did in yeah. uni more than that. Um, yeah. that's an extreme thing to do. You probably shouldn't be doing it, but you yeah. know, someone like me, I don't, I hate being a cog in a machine. Um, mm -hmm. even though I love being in the studio and I love problem solving. So, right. I think the complex there there's an endless complexity there um, mm -hmm. of a, a constant struggle to fit in or to realize how you fit in with other people, how other people 
see themselves how they actually are you know there's a, there's right. a disconnect i mean certainly for everyone um mm -hmm. myself included i want to sound like i know myself um mm. where you come across in a way and you think you're coming across in a way and you think you know how you are and someone else thinks something about you and there's this whole dynamic uh, in a freelance scenario, maybe there's less of that. There's, you know, because you get to just do a, do a contract here and a contract there. I don't really know. I've never done any real freelance. I've always been with companies that I worked longer projects with. Um, but right. certainly I think working from home is a lot easier to just do the art because you can, if you want to just shut off the chat and just not look at it. Um, in, a, in a studio, the more you are around people, the more... Um, the more human interaction you have in real life, the harder it gets to pretend to be someone. Uh, so like right. right now is a great example, right? I think most people in the industry are now suddenly working from home uh, or from home again. And, yeah. um, you know, hopefully everyone is safe and, and, and healthy. But um, it some people really hate it. Some people, you know, they love being around people. Some people are suddenly seem different because some of the... Uh, social outlets they have changed. Uh, you know, right. maybe someone seems more productive all of a sudden because, you know, being around people does slow you down sometimes. So yeah, uh, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's again, it's endless complexity, and that, that's also what personally interests me. You know, because if you are right. leading the team, then your job mm -hmm. is to figure out endless complexity, which you will never achieve. And you know, I, I said uh, there's no such thing as a good manager because. Right. Nobody actually knows how to do it, right? Nobody actually right. really like. If someone tells you, "Oh, this is how you be, how you are a good manager," then sure, they're probably really self secure and they they probably know what they're talking about. But mm -hmm. in re you know, no plan survives first contact. In reality, um, there's so many factors, and then someone's cat dies at home, right, or whatever, right? There's there's yeah. <laughs> there's so much to consider that 24 hours isn't enough. Yeah, I think it's interesting as well when you look at like how you've experienced the industry and, and how you look at your 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 part as want to be you know the management side of it or the production side of it. It's interesting to think back of when I was watching the the God of War making of documentary. I don't know if you've seen it, it's called Raising Kratos. Yes. And um the the I'm trying to remember who the guy was specifically, but I think he was one of the CFOs or CEOs of Sony America at the time. Um but he was talking about how like in nineteen 80 something like he started as a game tester for sega so he's like you know he's went from there you know start point a a, a qa tester in sega to running sony america so like you know i think it's one of these things where if you have a love for the industry and a love for just like every job in it and every part of it you'll probably find quickly that you will move up you know to different positions really fast because um people like that are rare where they love you know every aspect of the industry and everything about it because you know there's people who will do 3d art for instance like you said won't enjoy the tech side of it or won't enjoy the, you know even the uv side of it but then they will be like you know try to talk to coders and they'll be like oh i don't understand what you're talking about but then you can kind of you know wrap your head around what coders are talking about so i think people who have a more multidiscipline or team approach are the guys who um, end up leading teams end up leading studios end up leading projects um and i think in essence that's probably like a really good thing for you because then that dream will be realized eventually and you'll probably get a shot at actually um like running your own studio project team at, at one point so yeah um yeah. i think i think that is a positive thing well it's you know you say you 
uh, talking mm-hmm. maybe about me, but I think in general, it's um, stones usually fall in the correct place because unless you're extremely introverted, you're probably already pushing or at least showing where you want to go. And, yeah. um, you know, you give it 30 years and you'll probably get there if you just consistently exhibit that behavior of wanting to be that. Um, yeah. People will, like, you will meet the right people. They will mold you. And I'm, I'm always been a big fan of just saying what I want. Um, you know, yeah. sometimes it hurts me. Sometimes it helps me. And, um, th- I mean, I can, I can directly tell you how I got to Ubisoft and it all starts with me doing you know wanting to be a games journalist meeting the right people sticking around the right people having a gut feeling suddenly getting a job out of it then meeting people becoming an artist meeting people again and then somehow ending up at Ubisoft like that whole thing you know is it and it's only because I saw a game on Steam and I texted the developer right at 10 years right, ago yeah so um Yes, you can start, uh, you know, at the very bottom, and you can go wherever you want. And obviously, that not honestly that that documentary that you talked about. If people haven't watched it, um, it's it's amazing to me. It's you know, I was talking to to a lead uh, of mine, and and he was saying like, oh, this is so great. I would love to work for for Corey, Corey Barlog. Um, and then I said to him, I said, uh, I don't want to work for him. I want to be him. Like that documentary certainly makes it seem like he is a really great he's really great at his job that's certainly what a documentary makes it look like i, I don't know him so i don't i don't really know if that's true but i think right, there yeah. is lots of things you can learn if you're you know certainly inclined the way of, of going that direction you can learn of you know you should be there for your team um mm-hmm. you know you you should be the first to stand up and you should be the last to sit down and and you should you know your team it's a team video games is is teamwork and um, you don't matter because everyone else does. Right. That's sort of always been, you know, I'm always wrong. Everyone else is right. And I have to help other people to be better. That's always how I approach most of the things really is I don't, it, it, I mean, that, it's a very extreme thing again, where, you mm-hmm. know, look out for yourself. Don't like, I, I have moments where doing all of that really is lots of baggage where sometimes I break myself. So, yeah, it's not really advisable too much, but I think, you know, you see this again on a Dynasty Discord. Is there's so much love and 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 just helping each other, learning together, becoming better. It doesn't matter if you're a senior of of 15 years in the industry or just starting out. Um, you know, everyone can learn from everyone, and yeah. I can teach someone Blender. They can teach me a bit of experience they had before. Um, you know, it's it's try try to be helpful, try to put others first. And I think that will, in the end of the day, give you opportunities. Um, and, yeah. and you will have goals. You know, my goal is I want to end up as a creative director and I want to end up in Canada. Those are my two goals. And I've had mm-hmm. those goals for, well, I had the one goal for a decade and I had the other goal for a couple of years now. Um, right. And everything I do I check against those goals and I say, okay, I'm working on a personal art scene right now, which parts of it I'm going to use in my personal project, Tales of War. Parts of it I might use in a different project I might be working on. Um, mm-hmm. Some of it I might be able to bring back into work and tell people how I've done something. Maybe we can improve something. Um, right. You know, 
how does that get me to, towards my goal? Well, because maybe I can impress the right people in the right position to get a step closer to my goal. Right? Like check, set a goal and then check if what you are doing is leading you towards that. And it doesn't matter if you're more of the artist side or more of the management side. If you want to be an amazing artist and you want to become the principled artist or a senior principal, you know, senior expert artist, go for it. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. That, I mean, if you are the guy who can just produce the most amazing looking art, chances are I want to hire you for my team. And, yeah. and, and I think that's really, it's um, being the guy who stays on the line shouldn't be a negative, right? Um, right. It, it shouldn't be everyone's goal to become a manager because there's no shame in staying on the line and becoming the expert. Um, I right. actually think it's, it's to, to me, being the expert is a much greater achievement than managing the expert. You know, you can, right. you can go from junior to being a lead um, and not because like, oh, um, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And, you know, he doesn't have enough experience. No, because being a lead means that you're leading the team. And sure, there will be moments where you have to listen to your team because they know better than you. But um, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm definitely not talking about myself because I my own goal is I, I never would like to go from a junior to a lead position. I want to stay a level artist for the next couple of years, certainly for, you know, maybe for a decade. But I've right. seen people um, do that jump because it's a management position. Maybe they have a degree in it. Maybe they're, not, maybe they're a good manager, right? Mm -hmm. um, again, all stones, I think, fall in the right location. And sometimes that hurts. Sometimes you get cut from a team. Um, right. You know, I... And I have in the past, teams have changed, you know, projects I worked on got shelved or got um, canceled. And mm -hmm. you spend 50 hours over three days. And on Monday morning, you get told it's been canceled. And my first reaction was, well, what, do, you know, what is the next thing we do? It's, yeah. it, this industry will punch you when you're down, but it'll, mm -hmm. it'll also, you know, it, it'll it'll show the greatest in people and it'll also show the worst in people. And um, right. to, to me, it's, it's a very interesting industry. Um, yeah. It's not just nine to five and then we all go home because, I don't know, um, you're an accountant. Well, no, that's a, don't want don't to hearken on that. It's an old trope. But, um, you know, if you're an accountant, that's great. I probably need one soon. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, it's not just... I'm pushing papers from left to right and then I'm going home. It's, we all live and breathe this. Um, you right, know, it's yeah. hard sometimes to shut off on the weekend and you have to shut off on the weekend. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it's also, especially once you get past, like there's an initial burst of energy, but then initially you have to start thinking about balancing life and then, you know, but then you're obviously, how old are you actually? Because I didn't know how old, ask how old you are. Uh, um, well, that's a, the, the, the dreaded question that I hate. Um, <laughs> I am uh, 26 now. Okay, uh, but, so yeah, so still relatively young. So, so yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, when I started in the industry as a full time job in the industry, um, mm. I would say I was too young. Um, okay, you know, I I was, I guess, nineteen, just yeah. nineteen. But then, there, but, yeah. but then there has been people I know who have came in the industry at nineteen years old and are now some of the people who are the most iconic in the industry. And I think if you're starting at that age, that is is because you know you've had. That whole back catalogue. So once you're hitting thirty, once you're getting to that point in your life, like you have had this ten year experience, you've worked on all these teams and all these projects, and so you know, it used to be when guys had careers through their twenties, it wasn't as expansive as it is now. You know, you talk about, you know, Ian McHugh talks about how you know you've got people right now in their 
you know late 20s early 30s who are drawing like they've been drawing for 60 years because the learning exponential is just like infinity you know yeah. because people learn so quickly and, and there's so much information available to you at hand well that's the thing is is people coming you know people 20 coming out of university right now are probably mm -hmm. way better than 50 60 percent of the industry um yeah. it's more important than ever to uh have soft skills but also right, yeah. to to understand where the future is going because i i well this is more of a personal prediction but um mm. you know in in the last 10 years i've sort of the the way I do things have changed, obviously, but um, if you look at it, nothing's really been disrupted. We had evolutions. Um, you know, you could say maybe the the different uh, you know rendering models and going to PBR is a disruption, but I don't really think it is. It just it just required new tools and it required to you know. Does it really matter if you pack a, a, a metalness map together with your your specular or your roughness or whatever whatever PBR you're in? But um, yeah. You know, it's not really been a disruption. You know, it's not gone from 2D to 3D, um, where suddenly it's like, oh, you know, Sonic didn't really work out that much. Or how do you make a side scroller into a 3D game? We haven't right. had a disruption for a while. And yeah. um, tools change, art gets yeah. easier to make. Uh, you know, Substance Painter makes it easier because I don't have to do every single map in Photoshop myself. It takes less time to make art and it'll continue yeah. to evolve that way. Like I, I have predicted, or I, I am predicting that in the next five years, I honestly believe that vegetation, um, speed tree will just be redundant for most applications, you know. Right. And don't get me wrong, I absolutely love people who do great vegetation. Um, that's an amazing mm -hmm. thing to see. But it, most of the plants that we know uh, we can describe in generators and just generate trees on the map with Houdini. And then uh, they grow around the objects that we've placed in the map. They look more realistic. And then we can right. still use automation to condense those down into five, six, seven differences because we can figure out, you know, which tree kind of looks the same than the other does. And mm -hmm. suddenly it's like, well, we used to make every tree by hand and place every tree by hand. Now we're spawning it with, you know, um, these tools and so mm -hmm. yeah everyone gets better at art every art gets better itself tools get better you know mm -hmm. we're constantly in an arms race to make better art mm -hmm. but in 5 10 20 years the next disruption will come you know if you watch the gabe newell interview with ign just now with um uh, about half-life alex i think it's a couple days old or weeks old um okay he talks about you know sort of the, the Elon Musk neural link and uh, connection, and and mm -hmm. he straight up basically he's he seems uh, seems like something he's been looking into for a while, and um, mm -hmm. he straight up says that if you're not looking at it as a media company, um, you should because you will you know movies will change, games will change. We can all mm -hmm. of a sudden just give you the image in your head maybe in mm -hmm. 10 years 20 years whatever but yeah. there will be that disruption um and you know going back to hey i'm just an artist i'm making art yeah that will change the, the way it's always changed um to right. me personally the, the easiest way of protecting the future is to grow into a position where i can adapt to the new tools right um right the, we started out talking about Blender. We can go mm -hmm. full circle. It's it's a new tool that now people are starting to use. If you're able to yeah. pick up quickly, you know, tomorrow there might be a new tool or you might be changing jobs to a new engine. Like mm. tools don't matter. 
your understanding of problems and your understanding of art is all that matters. And, yeah. you know, if vegetation becomes redundant, maybe you can still become the tech guy who places, you know, because there still has to be the human pass on how stuff looks. And you can yeah. still retain that. Your position will change. But if if you go down the road of specializing yourself to do one thing and then that one thing falls away, then you don't have a job anymore. You know, like right. so many jobs in history, the the waker upper or whatever it was called, right? The guy knocking on everyone's door because he had a watch and nobody else had one in like the 1700s. <laughs> like yeah. that's not a job anymore. You know, maybe yeah. in, in parts it is, but um, no, we have alarm clocks now. So that guy's yeah. job is gone. But if he built um, this whole repertoire of also delivering the morning news, all of a sudden he just becomes a paper boy. And then maybe he also yeah. brings in the milk and the ice and mm. like, Everything is fluid in the world. You have to be too. And I think there is there is your future. And, and I don't know where we're coming from. I kind of went down this whole thing. <laughs> no, no, no. But I get what you're saying, man. Like I understand with the with the, the the meaning behind what you're saying is. But um, but yeah. Anyway, so I mean, we've talked at length uh, yes. about a lot of things, and we're kind of hitting the hour mark now. So people uh, might be falling asleep or, or or either tuning into something else at this point. But uh, but yeah, if you stay to this point, thank you very much for 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 being with us up to this point. Um thanks to lucas for coming on and and speaking to us it was definitely informative definitely a roller coaster um of ideas but uh i think uh we should try and get lucas on again at one point um to talk about more things if you guys have any questions in particular about you know stuff we've covered on the podcast or things that you know lucas maybe specializes in and you want to ask deeper questions on it then uh we can organize maybe a q a at one point and uh if you leave any questions below i'll make sure i get them to him um and then we can we can kind of continue this conversation but uh but again yeah thanks to lucas for coming on it was it was an honor man um i definitely loved listening to everything you had to well, say thank you very much for having me on and obviously yes I, i'd be absolutely happy to to answer questions just i want to say one thing very specifically if people are still listening mm -hmm. a mm -hmm. lot of the things that i'm saying are meant to be thought-provoking right um yeah don't take everything on on face value like oh he said no just think about things and and their opinions and their ideas they're not necessarily like golden truths you know um just yeah. i want to i want to make sure that people are people consider and think and overthink things i think that's very important too, too. yeah definitely i think if we wanted to have the same opinion on constantly then we just have the one person on over and over again but having a mix of people on is definitely what keeps the things like podcast fresh and keeps sure. ideas pursuing new, new stuff so yeah um so yeah again guys uh thanks for for, for staying this long if you're still around and uh make sure to check us out on other podcast services we're on many many of the the listen services around the world including youtube where uh, we have a kind of live premiere every time an episode goes up um again leave questions if you want get back to me and let me know how you enjoyed the episode thumbs up and like share as always and uh thanks looks again and we'll see you guys later on thanks guys bye, bye.